0: Welcome and thanks for listening to the Community Christian Church podcast. To learn more about Community Christian Church, visit us online at cccsterling.org. Today's message comes from Pastor Tony Ria. Welcome to Community Christian Church. It's so good to have you with us. Just a couple of days ago on Thursday, February the 2nd, Community Christian Church celebrated 31 years in ministry that's right it's our 31 year anniversary and of course we would not be the church that we are today without you and as you well know the church is a lot more than just the building it's made up of people and so we want to thank you so much for your support your faithful support of our church all these years okay today's the first sunday in february that means it's our communion sunday And in just a few minutes, we're gonna gather around the communion table and we're gonna receive the bread and the cup. And Jesus said, whenever you do that, as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you declare the Lord's death till he comes. In other words, Jesus said, I want you, when you receive communion, to remember my death on the cross. I want you to think about it. Because bottom line, the cross is the basis of our salvation. I'll say that again. The cross is the basis of our salvation. Everything that we profess, everything that we hold dear to our hearts begins and ends at the cross. Unless you forget, we need the cross for our salvation. And we have to have faith when we receive the gospel message. Now, some people, they've been saved for so long, they think they were born saved. But that's not how it happened. At some point along the way, we made a commitment to the Lord. We opened our hearts to God. We repented of our sins. And we believed the salvation story. So let me say it again. We all need faith. We need faith in our lives. And 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 18 says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us are being saved. It is the power of God. I'll say it again. To us who are being saved, the cross is the power of God. You see, we who are saved when we hear the gospel, we applaud it. When we hear story after story, even though they may be messages that we've heard often, we get excited and fired up about it. But oftentimes the believers, they act a little bit differently. Sometimes when you tell people about the gospel, they roll their eyes. They say, are you kidding me? And they don't get it. And honestly, I understand that. Because BC, before Christianity changed my life and transformed my heart, that was me. I was that guy. And again, sometimes we forget because we've been saved for so long. But before I got saved, I couldn't figure out for the life of me why people would get so excited about coming to church and giving their lives to God. I mean, believing in God, believing that He is God, I I can see that. But laying down your life for Him and following after Him, I don't think so. So it takes faith to believe the gospel. How many of you know that to be true? And it takes faith to live out the gospel. Faith is extremely important in our lives. And these days, with the onslaught of evil and gross darkness around us, it takes a lot of faith, not just a little bit of faith. And so this morning, as you heard Pastor Tyler in the video a few moments ago, I'd like to begin a new series simply entitled Faith. Because not only do unbelievers need faith, so do we. So those who have not yet made Jesus the Lord of their lives and those of us who have been Christians for a long, long time, we all need faith. In fact, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6 says, Without it... Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And faith in this context, it means to trust, rely upon, believe, and have confidence in. Trust, rely upon, believe, and have confidence in. And the Hebrew writer says this is a two-part equation. First, we have to believe that He is God, that He exists, that He's for real, that his word is true, and secondly, that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And this is sometimes when we get ourselves into trouble because most of us, if not all of us, we believe the first part. We believe that he's God, right? I mean, we know he's God. But it's the second part sometimes that trips us up because sometimes the reward Or the benefits that we're looking for they are nowhere to be found i mean we know the promises that god gives to us in his word we know what he has to say about his goodness and his faithfulness and we sometimes lock into everything that god has for us but then nothing it's like we're put on hold for what seems like forever And when the same kind of experience happened to the saints of old, how did they respond? By faith. They trusted God anyway. They had confidence in God anyway. And they acted as though God came through for them even when he didn't. And Hebrews 11.9 says, as a result, they were all commended for their faith. That was their testimony. That was their story. They were commended for their faith. They had honorable faith. They had acceptable faith. They had a faith that God was pleased with. And that's the same thing for us today. That's what we're after. We're after a faith that not only leads us in the right direction, We want a faith that not only allows us to live the Christian life and stand upon the Word of God, but we want our faith expression to bring glory and honor to our God. How many of you would say, that's what I would like in my life? I want my faith to honor God. I want Him to be pleased with who I am and how I respond to Him. And and here's the beauty of faith. When you talk about all of these things that God has Uh, instructed us to do in his word and everything that we're supposed to do or expected to do as believers here's the beauty of faith faith is a gift from God say that faith is a gift from God just like grace just like love and everything else that's notable or good in our lives faith comes from God First Corinthians chapter 12, verses eight through 10 gives us nine wonderful, powerful gifts of the spirit. There's wisdom and knowledge and discernment. There's tongues, interpretation of tongues and prophecy. And there's healing, miracles and faith. These are nine gifts that the spirit gives to the church. Please note, faith is a gift. Make no mistake. God is the one who builds faith in us. God is the one who allows us to have faith. And yes, grace and faith go hand in hand. And the link or the chain between them is unbroken. Take, for instance, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, a passage that you've heard quoted often. Have you really paid attention to Ephesians 2, 8, 9? It says, for by grace are you saved through faith so which is it are you saved by faith are you saved by grace ever think about that well it's both for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God not of works lest any man or any woman should boast grace listen carefully here grace is God's provision in our lives with grace God gives us His love, His kindness, His goodness, His mercy, all of the things we really don't deserve. And you've heard us use this definition often, grace is God providing for us everything we need to do His will. Grace is God giving us everything that we need to do His will, including the faith necessary to trust Him. So this, when we talk about faith, When we talk about having faith, it comes from us opening our our hearts to God and allowing him to work through us. And so grace is God's provision for us. Faith is a hopeful response to grace. I'm going to say that again because that's huge. It's really simple. Don't make it complicated. Grace is God's provision for us. Faith is a hopeful or favorable response to his grace. You see, a seasoned faith will conclude that even in the worst of situations, God is going to come through for me. God is going to show up. God is going to favor me. God is going to heal me god is going to meet all of my needs according to his glorious riches in christ jesus that's what a mature commendable seasoned faith will say but when it doesn't happen when what we're hoping for what we're expecting from god when it doesn't take place when it doesn't materialize you know what that's called a trial of faith a test of faith And why in the world would God do that to the people that he loves? Why would God put us through those paces? Make us experience all kinds of trials and tests. Any idea? To build more faith. Now why God uses that formula, I don't know. I I, I think I'd go in a little different direction, but that's the way God does it. God chooses to build faith in us. Remember I told you it's a gift from God. He chooses to increase our faith, to build faith in us, by putting us through some things that we would call trials or tests. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, and verses 6 and 7, listen to what it says. Be truly glad. How glad? Be truly glad. Not just glad, truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead. Uh, what kind of joy? Wonderful. wonderful joy. Not just a little joy wonderful joy, even though we must endure, how many trials? Many trials. Be truly glad there's wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while, because these trials or these tests, what do they do? They show that your faith is genuine. That's what tests and trials do. They prove our faith. They increase our faith. They, they, they show us that we have the kind of faith that will endure. And again, let's not lose sight of the faith target. What we're after when it comes to faith. Again, we, we mentioned it already. It's to believe that he's God, that he exists, that he's real, that his word is true, God is expecting us to believe that and then to believe that he's a rewarder of those who pursue him, he rewards those who seek him. There's a bonus that comes when you walk in obedience to God. And when you don't get the answer you're looking for, when the promise of the provision doesn't come the way that you think it should, and Hannah talked all about that during the worship time, when you suffer disappointment and even devastation, when God puts you through a bunch of paces and and, and through the ringer, do you know what your reward is? More faith. Commendable faith, mature faith, perfect faith. So this is how God builds faith in us. This is the method that God uses. You know, when we talk about victory, which was one of the songs we sung during the worship time, sometimes we conclude that the victory comes to us only when it comes the way we want it to come. If it doesn't come the way we thought it should come or the way that we mapped it out, what do we call it? A defeat. But that's not how it is in God's eyes we should be victory-minded because Jesus has already won the victory. So whatever comes our way, it's victory. We're more than conquerors. And so oftentimes when we're going through tests and trials, and we're in a tough place, and we just don't understand why it's going on and on and on, we, we don't see it as victory. But God wants us to see it that way. That's the way the The prophets of old, that's the way the the people of old that served God, everyone that made it into that 11th chapter of Hebrews, they acted as though God had already come through for them. Now, when you read through the Gospels and you review the life of Jesus, you will hear him say a similar phrase to people over and over again, people that he came into contact with, people he encountered that had a better-than-average faith. Read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and encounter Jesus meeting with people who expressed a a good faith. And you'll hear Jesus pretty much say the same phrase. Words are changed a little bit. For instance, to the woman who had the blood condition for 12 years, She couldn't get any help, any comfort, any relief for her condition. And remember the story. She went to a bunch of medical doctors, as many as she could. She spent all the money that she had, and she wasn't any better for all of those appointments. And one day she heard that Jesus was in town, and she said, If I could just touch the hem of his garment, if I could just touch Jesus, just get close to him, I would be healed. And Jesus turned to her and he said to her, woman, your faith has made you well. 10 lepers heard that Jesus was in town one day. They came to Jesus, they cried out, For healing, They said, you know what? We'd like to be reinstated in society. We're we're alone. We're isolated. We have this loathsome disease. Would you please do something about it? Jesus sent all 10 lepers to the priest because the priests were the ones that would declare them clean and be able to come back with their families. On their way to go see the priest, all 10 were cleansed. One of the 10 lepers came back to Jesus, threw himself at his feet, and he thanked him for his healing. And remember what Jesus said to him? Your faith has made you whole. There was a blind man that sat by the roadside, day after day after day, begging for money, begging for food. His name was Bartimaeus. When he heard Jesus passing by, he yelled out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Everybody else told him to be quiet. He yelled out even louder. Jesus healed him. Do you remember what he said? Your faith has healed you, or your faith has made you whole. One more. A young woman that came to Jesus that happened to be a prostitute. There were religious leaders all around. She didn't care how they would condemn her or shame her. She threw herself down at the feet of Jesus and asked for forgiveness. And Jesus said to her, your faith has saved you. Your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you whole. Your faith has healed you. Your faith has saved you. Jesus repeated this same phrase to people often. People that he encountered that showed some degree of faith. He said, because you trusted God, because you had confidence in God, because you were willing to rely upon God, it has opened the door of blessing for you. But then on two different occasions in the gospel, that's it, just two. Read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You'll see this twice, only two times. Instead of Jesus simply being impressed by somebody's faith, the scripture says, he marveled. In other words, he was speechless. How would you like that on your resume? How would you like to say something or do something that caused Jesus to be astonished so much so that he would marvel. Two times in the scripture, we're going to look at them both real quickly. First one's found in Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. After Jesus had finished all these sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent, him to, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he, the centurion, loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. And so Jesus went with them. he marveled at him. And turning to the crowd that followed him, Jesus said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. All right, Jesus had just finished the Sermon on the Mount. He was outside of Capernaum, little village where there was a hillside. He went up on the hillside, the scripture says, and he he gave this masterpiece of a sermon. And after he finished the sermon, he came down from the mountain. He went into Capernaum, and that's when he encountered this desperate situation with the centurion servant. And according to Luke, this particular centurion was not like all of the other Roman soldiers. He actually had a good relationship and liked the Jewish people. He was helpful toward the Jewish people. In fact, We're told that he funded, with his own money, the synagogue in Capernaum. This centurion built the church for the Jewish people. And so when the chief priests and the elders talked to Jesus about this desperate situation with his valued employee and told Jesus that he was on his deathbed, they said to him, this is a good man. Yes, he's a Roman centurion, but he's an honorable man. And he has established good things for our cause. In fact, he's built a synagogue. And so he, if anyone, deserves for you to do something good for him. That's what they said. That's what the elders said. He deserves it. If you're going to minister to anyone else, if you're going to perform a healing for anyone else, do it for this guy. Because he deserves it. And then on his way to the centurion's house, Jesus hears from the centurion himself. He sent Jesus a message. And he says to Jesus, I didn't really think you were going to come. And yes, I'm paraphrasing. I'm telling you the story in my own words. He said, I didn't really think you were going to come. But I'm not worthy for you to make a house call. I don't deserve for you to come and show me any special treatment? Now, the religious leaders, the elders said he did. The elders kind of read his resume to Jesus. They wanted Jesus to know how special this man was. But from his own estimation, he says, you know, I'm not entitled to such distinction or honor. I don't have that coming. And furthermore, the centurion said, like you, I'm a man of authority. And trust me, when I tell my guys, when I tell soldiers under me to do something, you better believe they do it exactly the way I tell them. No discussion, no question, no debate. They get it done. And Jesus, I know all you have to do is say the word. Whatever you think, whatever you desire, however you want to handle it, that's going to be okay with me. And Jesus was blown away. Could not believe that attitude coming from the centurion. And he turned around to the crowd that was following him, probably mostly Jewish people, and he said, this is a Gentile here and I have not been able to find this kind of faith among the people of God. Jesus basically said, everywhere I go, Religious leaders are on my case. They hound me. They tell me how wrong I am, how I misinterpreted scriptures. They argue with me. They read me their resume. They tell me that they're the children of Abraham and they're entitled to God's best and, they, and all of these things that God should do for them because uh, they're so special. But not the centurion fella. No, he came to me in a humble way. And he basically said, you're God. You're the son of God. You're the one who's in authority. I'm going to let you call the shots. And make no mistake, I believe you. I have confidence in you. And I'm expecting the best. But Jesus, I'm good with whatever you decide to do. And Jesus marveled. He could not believe that attitude. There's a second time in the scriptures where Jesus was shocked in a good way at somebody's faith. It's found in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 through 29. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon, but he did not answer her a word. Ever feel that way? Ever feel like you just come before the Lord with every emotion possible and you get down on your knees and, and you cry out to God and you bear your heart and nothing? Not a sound coming from heaven? The scripture says this gal appealed to Jesus and he didn't respond to her. He didn't say a word. But she came and knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. That's all she said. Lord, help me. You'd expect that Jesus would be merciful to hear her say something like that. What does he say? It's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Talk about cultural insensitivity. I mean, this is... Borderline insulting. One would accuse Jesus of making a disparaging or disdainful remark to this woman. And yet, without hesitation, this courageous gal she said, Yes, Lord. In other words, I agree with you. Yet, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And again, Jesus was blown away. Here's his response now O oh, woman, great is your faith, be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. You see, this Canaanite woman, this Greek gal, she pretty much responded to Jesus with the same attitude as the centurion. And she said to him, I, you don't owe me anything. I'm not worthy of any special blessing coming from your hand. Is that, is that the attitude we have when we're asking God for things? Like you don't owe me anything I'm not entitled to this it's not like I have it coming or you owe it to me this gal said I'm not even worthy but I know and I believe in who you are and I trust that you have some leftover scraps for me and those crumbs those scraps are going to meet all of my needs I believe that you have what it takes to meet my needs. And again, Jesus was astonished by that response. Friends, when it comes to faith, and I know we hear so many things about faith, and we're told how we're just supposed to be real confident, and we're supposed to, you know, speak faith and not... Uh, concentrate on any of the negatives you know sometimes when we're sick we're not supposed to say we have symptoms I mean there's so many different formulas and methods for faith but when it comes to faith having great faith commendable faith like these two people had the the centurion and this gal we're not responsible for the results or for the outcome that's what we typically focus in on but that's not our responsibility Faith success is not measured by answered prayer. I'm going to say that again. Your faith success is not measured by answered prayer. That's God's responsibility. That's God's business. What He's looking for from us is the proper attitude. He wants us to come before Him with the right attitude. And the right attitude is God is God no matter what comes my way. He is God. He was God before the trial. He was God before the problem. He was God before the cancer report. And he's God after. Scripture says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. And our response to him is, God, I believe in the best for my situation. I trust you are going to meet my need. I believe by according to your word. I can stand on your word. You're the healer. You're the provider. You're the one who can... Answer my prayer, but I'm going to submit myself to your plan. You call the shots. You're God. You're the one in charge. That was the attitude of the centurion and the Greek gal. Now, just before we make our way to the communion table, I want to share one final verse. It's found in the Old Testament book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 41 and verse 52. Here's what it says. God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. Think about that for a minute. God has made me fruitful in the land or in the place of my suffering. Other translations use the word grief, affliction, and sorrow. God has made me fruitful in the place of my sorrow, my suffering, my affliction. In the place of my pain. Many of you will immediately recognize that verse and connect it to the story of Joseph, you know, the guy with the coat of many colors. Joseph was a little bit of a dreamer. And one day he told his brothers that he would rule over them. Brothers didn't like that. He was the youngest. They were older, so they hated him. They wanted to kill him. Instead, they sold him into slavery. After that, he was accused of a crime he didn't commit, then he was thrown into jail. You know the story. He he was left there to rot. You talk about a trial of faith. But on the other side of this severe test of faith, the testimony that Joseph has is, God has made me fruitful in the place of my suffering, the place of my pain and my affliction. God has caused there to be some benefit for that. Joseph said, I didn't just make it. I didn't just survive it and, and get by by the skin of my teeth. He said, I have been productive in this time of my life. There's been benefit and there's been reward. And what was the reward for Joseph? More faith. So much so, he gets into Hebrews chapter 11. And the best part about it God marveled at Joseph's faith. God was astonished that he would be put through all of those things and still not abandon the fact that God is God. Faith is a gift. It comes from God. Sometimes we think we're responsible to have this gigantic, enormous faith and if we pray for somebody, we pray for ourselves and it doesn't happen, dud, defeat, no faith. We're, we're led to believe sometimes with some of the teachings, if we pray or we lay our hands on somebody, it doesn't happen, something's wrong with us. It's not. The attitude is, God's your God, you call the shots. I'm putting my trust in you. And sometimes my reward for unanswered prayer is more faith. Let's pray. Father, we're asking you by the power of your spirit to speak to our hearts and to bring us to that place of receiving this truth from your word. There's so many passages in the Bible that talk about us laying our hands upon the sick and they'll recover. Talk about us moving mountains as believers and if we have faith like a mustard seed, we'll we'll say anything and it would happen. And Lord, that brings a little bit of confusion for us. But another side of that same coin is the attitude that you're expecting us to have. It's an attitude that was revealed by this Roman centurion and this Canaanite woman. They basically said, I'm not entitled, but I believe. I don't deserve any special treatment, so I'm just going to trust you, God. And your God, no matter what, You are God no matter what. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts, that you'd help us to hear what it is that the Spirit is saying. And in our situations, Lord, wherever we find ourselves this morning, if it's in the middle of a battle or if we're winning the victory from our perspective, I pray, Lord God, you would help us to increase faith. You know, when you read through the Gospels and you read the life of Jesus, you might be tempted to think Jesus was somewhat of a Superman. In fact, I've heard that term often. Jesus wasn't a Superman, he wasn't a little God. But you can get that impression because he did everything the Father asked him to do without ever missing the mark. The scripture tells us he never made a mistake. 33 and a half years on this planet, as dark and evil as it is, and he never sinned, the scripture says. But would you believe me if I told you Jesus needed a little help with his faith? That in order to accomplish the earthly ministry and earthly assignment that god had given to him he needed spiritual strength from above you read about that toward the end of the gospels when in the garden of gethsemane as jesus was facing the cross he prayed a prayer and he said lord if it were possible would you remove this cup from me In other words, as he saw to the cross and knew that the hour had come and he was just a short time away before he was going to go through that horrific death on the cross, he appealed to his father to change the plan. He said, I I, got to believe that there's another way to do this. And you know, he said, not my will, but yours be done. But still, he was fighting a battle there. In fact, we know he was fighting a battle because the scripture tells us he was in such agony and such emotional strain that an angel had to come and support him. An angel from heaven literally had to come down into the garden in order for Jesus to get through that time. And it was Luke, the great physician, who tells us that while that was all happening, there was so much distress, Jesus' sweat drops of blood. That's a problem. Earlier, I told you that faith is a gift from God. It's not always dependent upon us. It's dependent on how much we'll open our heart to His grace. I know the scripture says, faith comes by hearing, hearing from the Word of God, hearing by the Word of God, and that's what we're doing this morning. We're, We're listening to the Word of God. Faith comes when we remain obedient to the Lord even during the time of our trials and tests, the time of our affliction and our pain and our sorrow, because that's when God chooses to build the most faith in us. That's the method he uses to increase us, to give us more faith. And so I'm wondering... Instead of thinking God to be a failure or God to not come through for you or maybe he's not blessing you or favoring you for, because you've done something wrong, I, I'm wondering if you would be willing this morning to say, I want God to make me fruitful during my time of suffering. I want God to cause there to be some benefit, some reward, something productive in my life during this season. Not wait till I get to the other side of this test. Not wait until this mess is behind me. But right now, at this moment, Lord, I am opening my heart to you and I'm trusting that you are gonna give me more faith than I've ever had before. The scripture says it was on the night Jesus was betrayed. That same night that he was in the garden. Crying out to the Father, Lord, I need strength. He appealed to his disciples, Could you, could you watch with me? My soul's sorrowful, even unto the point of death. I need some help. It was that night that Jesus took bread. And after giving thanks, he broke the bread, gave it to his disciples, and said, This is my body, which is for you. The body of Jesus was broken so that ours could be whole. We believe that. We trust that. We believe he's the healer. If you have pain in your body, if you have sickness, something's not right with you, it's been ongoing, you can't get relief, we believe the body of Jesus was broken for our healing. In fact, the scripture says that. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our sins and our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was placed upon him. And by his stripes, by his wounds, we are healed. As you take the bread today, let's believe for our healing. Father, we thank you that you're the healer. We thank you that you provide for us in supernatural ways. And Lord, let this be the day of healing for the saints of God those who are going through difficult times physically, those who have sickness in their body, even if they've been told there's a a terminal illness in their body, you're greater than that, Lord. The name of Jesus is above every name. And your scripture says that one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. Lord, we believe you're the healer and we trust in you. We stand upon your word. We believe you're God. And after supper ended, Jesus took the cup. Again, he gave thanks. He passed the cup to his disciples. He said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you declare the Lord's death till he comes. This cup is a covenant cup. Jesus referred to it that way. Covenant means all that God is, all that he has belongs to you. And whatever you're going through right now, I can tell you God is with you. He's for you. He's not forsaken you. Maybe like the Canaanite woman, you're thinking he answered you not a word. But he's heard you. And he's responding. Let's take the cup together. I'm going to ask you to please put your hand on the shoulder of the person next to you and then close your eyes. If you're at home, you can touch each other in your family, their shoulders, and close your eyes as well. Father, we pray for strength this morning, supernatural strength. When Jesus was in need, you sent an angel to strengthen him, an angel from heaven. Lord, I'm asking for strength from heaven for every single person who's walking through a trial right now, walking through a difficult place. And even if they're not, Lord, they know somebody who is. So they're standing in the gap for that person, a family member, a friend, a co-worker, a neighbor. Lord, we've been praying for people for salvation this year. We bring them before you. We pray supernatural strength, Lord. But our mentality and our mindset has changed. We wanna establish the proper attitude and just speak victory in every situation. Not our kind of victory, not what we think of, but your victory. What the enemy means for evil against us, Lord, that's victory to you because you turn it around. Any sickness that we have, that's victory for you because Jesus already went to the cross. He died for our sins, he died for our illnesses. We walk in that power, we walk, Lord, in the grace that you provide for us. I pray that you would lift this congregation's faith to a new level, Lord, that we would trust you, that we would cause you to marvel at the faith that we have, the proper attitude. And Lord, you would begin, like never before, to pour out healing miracles in this place, supernatural signs and wonders, because we know you are God no matter what we face. And we put you in charge of every situation. Lord, you call the shots. We're not calling them. We just trust you. We believe you. Minister, Lord, in this moment, in a powerful way as only you can. Because we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's give him one more round of applause. He's a good God. He's a good God. And you're a good congregation. Thank you so much. God bless you. Have a great day.